0: Recovery Elevator, episode 120.
1: When we take this this thing away, this this thing that was causing so much issues, you know, we we're left with this void. And what the hell do we do with this empty space? And I find that, what, what personally, what I find is that those connections with people, those deep-seated experiences that you have in something that's just so mind-blowing, like the beauty of the tropics, like the ocean and what it has to offer, It's just an incredible experience that it's like why would you ever want to taint this by Mm -hmm. a chemical?
0: Welcome to the recovery elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us According to the recovery elevator sobriety tracker on my phone. I have been sober for twenty three thousand six hundred and twenty one hours On today's podcast, we've got Jason. He's 46 years old. He's been sober since February 15th, 2013, and he says he didn't even realize he had a drinking problem. Now, before I go any further, I want to throw out we've got three spots left before the Recovery Elevator Retreat fills up. This is going to take place in Bozeman, Montana, August 24th to the 27th. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash retreats, that's plural, and get more information there. Okay, let's get started. Tyler Durden gets sober. Actually, his name's Brad Pitt. I also hear he divorced Angelina Jolie. What happened to Jennifer Aniston? Yikes, I just did a quick Google search and it appears they got divorced on October 2nd, 2005. Man, you might think I live in a barn up in Montana. Well, half that's true. Now, I don't dedicate too much brain space to celebrities and all the happenings of what's going on in Hollywood, but I wanted to cover Brad Pitt and his sobriety. So many media outlets cover the drunken mishaps, the wrecked rooms in Vegas, and no one really recovers the recovery. The media rarely covers people when they quit drinking and improve their life. And since I would be an arm of the media, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and cover Brad Pitt, simply because everybody loves Brad Pitt, even Tibet. They kept him for seven years after all. The charming, talented, and handsome acting icon of our times has revealed his lifelong struggles with alcohol and talks intimately about his recent sadness and hope in an interview with GQ. And no, those weren't the words of GQ. Those were mine. Brad is charming. He's talented. And he's handsome. My goodness, is he handsome. Now at the time when Brad Pitt did this interview with GQ, he had about six months of sobriety under his belt. There were times where I could read between the lines and feel his pain. He's still in early sobriety. His life was completely turned upside down, and he's taking that blind leap of faith. In the article, it says, Pitt is the first one to acknowledge that it's been chaos these past six months during what he calls a weird time. In conversation, he seems absolutely locked in one moment, a little twitchy and forlorn in the next, having been put on a journey he didn't intend to make but admits it was self-inflicted. The unfortunate worst of it surfaced in public this past September. When he was on a flight to Los Angeles aboard a private plane, there was a reported altercation between Pitt and one of his six children, 15-year-old Maddox. An anonymous phone call was made to the authorities, which triggered an FBI investigation, which ultimately closed with no charges. Five days later, his wife Angelina Jolie, not Jennifer Aniston, surprise surprise, filed for divorce. By then, everything in Pitt's world was in a free fall. Now, if you're a male and listening to this right now, you might be saying, I would give anything to be divorced by Angelina Jolie. And if you're saying that, I'm actually saying the exact same thing. However, problems are all relative. So let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. The article goes on to say, these moments have always been a huge generator for change, and I'm quite grateful for it. But me personally, I can't remember a day since I got out of college when I wasn't boozing or had a split for something. And you realize that it's a lot of, um, cigarettes, you know, pacifiers. And I'm running from feelings. I'm really, really happy to be done with all of that. I mean, I stopped everything except boozing when I started my family. But even this last year, you know, things I wasn't dealing with. I was boozing too much. It's just become a problem. And I'm really happy it's been half a year now, which is bittersweet. But I've got my feelings in my fingertips again. I think that's part of the human challenge. You either deny them all your life or you answer them and evolve. Bradley, if you're listening, I love that last sentence. You either deny all your feelings in life or you answer them and evolve. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you'll probably fall into the second category of the two. You have uncomfortable feelings. There is pain in your life which is motivating you to change. Therefore, you are listening to this podcast. You want to change, improve your self worth and your self being, and you want to evolve. One of the questions asked to Brad was, How about alcohol? You don't miss it? Brad says, I mean, we have a winery. I enjoy wine very much, but I just ran it into the ground. I had to step away for a minute, and truthfully, I could drink a Russian under the table with his own vodka. I was a professional. I was good. Yeah, I've tanked a lot of things in life, and if I had a winery, you can add that to the list of things that I would definitely tank. The next question they asked Brad, So how do you just drop it like that? His response? Don't want to live that way anymore. I don't think Bradley fully understood the question because I think the answer was, yeah, how the hell did you get sober? That question usually takes about 40 to 45 minutes on on this podcast to to answer, but you get the point. He just doesn't want to live like that anymore. And then he was asked with, what do you replace it with? He responded with, cranberry juice and fizzy water. Brad, I knew we were beverage brothers, bro. I absolutely knew it. He didn't say it in the interview, but I'm fairly certain he adds a lime to that as well. You go, boy. You go. Bradley then continues to talk about how metaphors are his life. You strip down the foundation and break out the mortar. I don't know. For me, this period has really been about looking at my weaknesses and failures and owning my side of the street. Well, there's a little answer of how he did drop it just like that. Sounds like he's attending 12-step meetings because that's a phrase you hear almost daily. Sorry, back to his interview. Brad says, I'm an asshole when it comes to the need for justice. I don't know where it comes from, this hollow quest for justice for some perceived slight. I can drill on that for days and years, aka resentments. It's done me no good whatsoever. It's such a silly idea, the idea that the world is fair. And this is coming from a guy who hit the lottery. I'm well aware that I hit the lottery and I still would waste my time in those hollow pursuits. Sounds like Brad has read pages 63 through 68 in the big book and has wrapped it up in his own beautiful metaphor. Ah, and what a handsome metaphor that is. In my opinion, he's talking about how resentment can be absolutely exhausting. Also, the idea of controlling everybody really took a toll on Brad's life. And then Bradley goes on to talk about feelings, sitting with those horrible feelings and needing to understand them and putting them into place. In the end, you find, I am those things I don't like. That is a part of me. I can't deny that. I have to accept that. And in fact, I have to embrace that. I need to face that and take care of that. Because by denying it, I deny myself. I am those mistakes. For me, every misstep has been a step toward epiphany, understanding some kind of joy. Yeah, the avoidance of pain is a real mistake. It's the real missing out on life. It's those very things that shape us, those very things that offer growth, that make the world a better place. Oddly enough, ironically, that makes us better. Sounds like Bradley's getting outside of his comfort zone. I'm just kidding, Brad. We're on the same team. So that's it. Team recovery, we gained an awesome one right there. Brad, you're even more of a badass now in my book. I'm not sure how that's possible after the movie Troy. Have you seen that movie, guys? He's freaking awesome in that. Okay, and before we hear from Jason, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine. I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code elevator for your first month free. Again, use the promo code elevator when signing up for your first month free. Jason, how are you?
1: I'm outstanding this morning, Paul. Thanks for asking. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. I'm off shift and it's snowing and I'm sober today.
0: (laughs) There there we we go. go. So it constitutes a great day right there. And before we get any further, let's just dive right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: Well, Paul, by my recovery app, I have been sober for four years, two months, and six days today.
0: Nice. If my date calculations are correct, that puts us at 2-15-2013. I'm just kidding. You told me that before we interviewed. There's no way I could do that. But that's your sobriety date, correct? Yes, sir. Nice. And you may have noticed that in episode 119, I interviewed a woman named Carrie, who happens to be Jason's lovely wife. And Jason's got eight more days of sobriety than his wife. And we'll talk about how you know the timing was so similar later on in this interview. But before we get any further, Jason, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, and uh, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Well, uh, for the past 26 years, uh, I was in Big Sky, Montana, resort, ski resort, golf resort community just south of you. I was transplanted essentially from the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I am a full-time firefighter paramedic locally. I also teach scuba diving. And uh, my wife and I do trips uh, yearly or, or uh, biannually to the British Virgin Islands, 46, and do plethora of outdoor activities like most Montanans. Uh, last year, I got pretty obsessed, as I seem to try to direct my obsession, towards uh, wake surfing. So that's coming up. I'm really excited about this summer. i uh, got a buddy with a boat bought a new surfboard, so I'm amped.
0: Nice. Now, I want to get right into this story. Tell me about how you met your beautiful wife, Carrie.
1: <laughs> well, they say you never meet your wife in a bar, and that's not totally true. Uh, we actually met at a local bar, kind of goofy. Uh, at the time, my I was a volunteer firefighter, and I had just gone through EMT training. We weren't all EMTs then. We were just first responders. So I was pretty fresh off the books and the test, and, and just ready to help anybody I could. And ironically, I was going to go meet a buddy at a bar as they were closing the bar down in the old days, uh, still drinking then. Went in to to get one and I just noticed this event happening right in front of my eyes. Uh, this big kind of burly red headed guy has got a bit of a, a temper and he just pushed off this blonde mass and I'm like, What is going on here? Damsel in distress. I must have gotten the calling here. And uh, I just see this body fly across the room and I look at my buddy and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's like, I don't know, man. She started it I'm like, come on, really? And so I look over, and I just see this beautiful woman laying on the, on the ground, and she's holding her face, and she's bleeding, and she looks up at me, as I've come to coin the phrase, with her pirate eye, and she's got kind of one eye squinted shut, and she looks at me like, hi. I said, well, ma'am, I'm an EMT. It appears you're bleeding. Can I help you with that?
0: <laughs> you're a smooth guy, and Jason. So, uh,
1: yeah, well, yeah. On the outside, maybe. <laughs>
0: That is fantastic. Uh, and, and so after that, you know, you just met her, met her in a bar. I, a couple podcasts ago, I talk about how I got punched in the face by a girl at a bar, and I've never really had that mm. type of success while drinking at bars. But uh, yes, yeah, so you guys obviously hit it off, and you've been married for what, nine years now?
1: Uh, yeah. So 2008, June. So coming up here, we're working on nine years. Time she was with somebody, I was with somebody. She joined the fire department, and uh, I, I'm so daft to these things. Maybe it's part of uh, inherent humility, possibly, but she would follow me around as we moved lockers. I would move lockers as things got remodeled in the station, going from volunteer to full-time when I got hired. And I always noticed that she was always next to me. I'm like, oh, this is kind of odd. Huh, that's interesting. And then later on, she's like, yeah, stupid. It's because I liked you. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, you were with somebody. I was with somebody. I've always respected that. And so, yeah, we... Ended up breaking up with our significance just shortly before we got together, and it's been kismet ever since. So, yeah, very blessed.
0: Nice. And let's back it up a little bit in regards to your story. When did you first realize that perhaps you had a drinking problem?
1: Well, you know, that's, I thought about that a lot. And it, it, the, my last full throttle evening comes to mind. And, you know, in my experience of life and growing up and then moving to Big Sky, I didn't really know I had a drinking problem. I, I was surrounded by people that drank more than me, and I drank a lot. My whole family, they drank heavily. It was just this coming to adulthood as a drinker, and so I thought I had achieved something as a, as a pretty heavy drinker, and I was good at it. But uh, we had had a, a, a pretty crazy night, got some really good friends here. I really only see like once or twice a year because we've moved on, got married, and got into our lives. So it's just fun to just have a kind of reunion evening uh, it was after the holidays and so around here it's really busy during thanksgiving christmas all that so new year's and we get through all that it's just kind of settles the area down and kind of gets into our small town that we appreciate and so we uh, we had a night out it was one of those started with beers at the house and then cocktails and went out to the bar and they had shots and On and on and on, went back to their house and there may be some other things thrown in there and, you know, drove home. Of course, we live in a very small community where uh, whatever, it really mattered to me. I I was a great drunk driver, so it really dawned on me that I shouldn't drive. Got home, drank more. My wife went to sleep or probably passed out herself. And, man, I woke up with the worst feeling of hot ice pick through the back of my eyeballs. I've never felt in all my hangovers, and I've had many, I've never felt a feeling like that. Just night sweat. I felt like I had to puke. I couldn't puke. I felt like I had to go to the bathroom. I couldn't. And I just, I laid there. I think it's the first time that I really realized that, that this this needs to stop. I cannot feel like this again. And I, I vividly remember fetal position huddled up on the floor just praying to the porcelain god like please take this away please don't ever let this happen again i I felt like i was actually having a stroke you know it's just the worst feeling ever and i I, I thought that next morning to to give our friend uh who we've known for a while Uh, he's actually a, a father of a good friend of ours and he's been in the program for for a long time in AA, and uh gave him a call I didn't quit drinking then, <laughs> and of mm-hmm. course, after calling him, he invited us to a meeting, and I was like, wait, well, I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet, <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> we ended up, uh, it was in February, so my last drinking evening to date has been Valentine's Day. Uh, we went out and had a, a wonderful evening. It was it was a kind of a bittersweet night. Didn't drink much, but I knew inside, I, I was undeniable that, that this has to stop. Mm-hmm. This was going to be my last evening drinking, and it, it's been a whole different life change since then.
0: And describe your drinking habits a little bit before leading up to that moment. Were you, uh, you know, and then did you have rules in place to kind of curtail your drinking?
1: You know, I, I think my own rules. We live in such a, an area of uh, <laughs> affluence and abundance, and it's just a party. Paradise out here, and so I never really thought I had a problem. You know, it's, uh, looking back through my history, I would say of my 46 years now, 35 of those were spent drinking sure. regularly, at least once a week. Started drinking very young; it was, it was almost encouraged. I used to deliver beers to my stepfather at the time, and you know, he was like, "Hey, try some," you know, and oh yeah, I love this stuff. And before I started this journey. The last 10 years of my drinking career were absolutely alcoholically. I, I was aware of that. I used to coin the phrase that my dad used to say, you know, everyone's an alcoholic. It's just some people get addicted. You know, these goofy things that I used to say that I, I didn't even know what the hell I was saying. But typically, I, those last few years, especially being a full-time firefighter, we work a, a 4896. So I'm on solid for 48 hours. And that can be incredibly busy or incredibly not busy. But we typically have four days off depending on extra shifts, needs, whatever, training. And so I would get off work, and I would immediately think about, all right, what, when can I start drinking today? And uh, having to have a reason to go with friends, whatever, and typically just turn it up super hard. Mm-hmm. And then most of the time, we just spend those last three days just trying to sober up. I would work and as best as I could, and then I would do it again. Uh, we, we used to host huge parties, dress-up parties, holiday parties, any reason to get people together. We seem to be pretty social people at times, Uh, as long as I'm in control. You know, it's in my house. I can drink as much as I want, and I can control the whole thing, which I'm wearing is not the greatest thing in the world. And then our sailing trips, you know, we we would just go on these two-week binge. I'm I'm more of a binge drinker than a blackout drinker. Uh, It's amazing the bottomless pit that I've created. Uh, I feel like I I drank off my stop button. Like, it just went away one day, and I don't know where it went, but I don't know. I'm not going to try to find it. I tried this like detox thing once a year. I try to stay within relative health. And so every year I'd I'd pick a time, uh, like maybe a 30-day stand. I think the longest I was was 36 days. But each time, shortly after that, I would just catch up in a short amount of time. So I don't know, for better or for worse, it was good to be feeling healthy for a while. But I I knew there was a stop date and I knew there was a point to where I'd, I'd be drinking again. So it wasn't like I thought, oh, maybe I'll try this not drinking thing. It was a stint of time that I could plan on knowing that I okay I can go this long, but I know that I can start drinking at this particular time. So, but, you know, I was a big guy. So it's, it's this constant party. You know, our motto was you know go big or go home.
0: Sure, that's applicable to the the powder skiing and the resort as well as the drinking lifestyle. I grew up right outside of El mm-hmm. Colorado, and I, I understand that fully now talk to me about how you did it it sounds like you reached out for help you made a phone call and you went to a meeting and, and, and talk about you know the experience that you and your wife had at, at the same AA meeting you guys went to
1: well like I said we, I had that what I call coming to Jesus I'm, I'm not a very religious person but it's a, a phrase that I like to say uh, I had a uh, call it a, a moment of clarity or a lucid interval I had prior to that event our friend is a, is a big sailor. He used to train with the America's Cup team. And there's actually a sport that's involving ice and sails. They're ice boats. And Canyon Ferry, uh, just north of us, is one of the best ice boat sailing lakes in the world, actually. And so I had the opportunity to go sailing with this guy. And I knew he didn't drink. Uh, he'd party with us. He's a parent of one of our very good friends. And they were there in the middle of it. And I'm like, dude, this guy doesn't drink. You know, and so I had to kind of pry it out of him a little bit. I'm like, well, "How do you not drink? You guys are so attractive people. You're just, you're well dressed. You're, you're just wonderful people." And I, I didn't really have many male role models in my life. And <laughs> so you, you had to ask this guy. It.
0: You're like, "Wait a second! You're you're dodging icebergs while sailing sober. How are you doing this?"
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Like, and he just kind of and at the drive from Big Sky to Canyon Ferry is roughly three hours. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get out of him. He's, he's in the program. He's in AA. He's been sober now for 42 years. Wow. And he was my go-to. I called him immediately and we talked. And like I said, he wanted to take me to my first meeting. And I was like, no, nah, not really. And then after that Valentine's Day, I finally went, you know what? I I, I said to my wife, um, and honestly, you know, to to throw it out there, thanks to Control Freak, uh, she – Her drinking was to a point to where I couldn't deal with anymore. It's crazy, the the world I used to live in and the mindset. But I felt to myself, you know, I said, if I expect her or if I'm somehow requiring, like, I have the power to do that, someone else to change, then I need to change myself. And it dawned on me, like, well, her drinking habits are out of control, but I'm good. Mine are in control, but let's let's just go to a meeting and see what this is all about. And we went to our first meeting in Bozeman at the hospital. There's a Sunday meeting there every evening uh, on Sundays. And it was, it was an AA that I still have yet to see. It was such a new experience. But there, there was a guy in the corner with an IV and in a gown. He was <laughs> handcuffed to the IV pole with a security officer babysitting him and they think every like 30 seconds and i'm like what, what's going on here there's another guy that looks homeless uh there's another guy that looks like a librarian and there's just this mix of people like a i've never thought and i, I think most people their first meeting are blown away by the mix of people uh it's not just drunk under the bridge and it was a birthday meeting so they were celebrating uh, everyone's uh particular birthday that night and we had a, another friend who was actually getting a 10-year coin and we went around in a clockwise circle, starting with the chairperson, and it went all the way around the table, and it hit our friend who had 10 years, and he had a wonderful share. And then Carrie was next to me, my wife, and it was kind of her turn, and it wasn't that we had to say, you know, no, we we're alcoholics, we're just here to try to figure this thing out. She just broke down, and I, I have, it still makes my skin crawl right now thinking about it. it. It's what we call our first miracle, and she had no idea that she could relate to these people. And I had an inkling that, you know, I, I need to be here. But at that moment, as we found our relationship, there's been these, these benchmark moments that that moment I knew that our life was going to change. And and it's been amazing. I, I can't even describe what AA and sobriety has done for me. It's completely changed my life. So that's essentially the, the real start of our, our journey.
0: And, and walk me through a typical day in your recovery, Jason. How do you remain sober after four years?
1: You know, it's... <laughs> I, I love your podcast. That You've gone through the uh, different phases of one day at a time, and you didn't like that, you don't like that. And I, I honestly, all the sayings in, in, in AA, and that's really what I use uh, to try to keep me on a, on a day-to-day sobriety. But it is really one day at a time. You know, the oh, God, the first year was not easy at all. Luckily, we, we started after the holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had gotten kind of our, our first of the year party done. But after that, you know, it it really is uh, one day at a time. We started going to meetings. I didn't realize that the resource was available here in Big Sky. One, I didn't know I had a problem. Two, I didn't know the resources were available locally. There's three incredible meetings in our area locally. Uh, We started going to meetings here in in Big Sky. Gosh, the first 30 days. Uh, I've I've now learned that it takes 66 days to really change a deeply – habits and those first 30 60 90 days were were the white knucklers people kind of give me a hard time about it now but I, I had the hardest time sitting in that room and admitting that I was an alcoholic and I couldn't say that so I would say stuff like oh I'm I'm Jay and I think I might be an alcoholic <laughs> uh, and then everybody's like looking at me like are you are you out of your mind like really you've told us this story and you're still having a hard time struggling Mm -hmm. with that. You know, people would talk about this whole idea of being a grateful alcoholic and that was completely esoteric to me. I had no idea why you'd be grateful for having this affliction and we call it a disease. That's not a good thing to have. I'm not grateful for having a disease, but we we can talk about that more later. But the kind of that first year, you know, I I just, I I just showed up and shut up and and I just listened, you know, I paid attention. I, I, never really do and it seems that in my life I can't do things a little bit so started going to speaker meetings and just really got me deep in it I I was over it man I was I was over the life I was ready for a change and I just devoured the uh, steps I got a sponsor went to the big book read read the big book in like two days I I can be kind of a speed reader at times and and for better or for worse. I, I just got through the whole thing and got to my first year. And I, I don't know if I've felt so accomplished in all the things that I've, I've seemed to achieve in my life so far. That first year coin, man, I, I, I felt so accomplished. And I had so many things I was going to say when I accepted that coin. And honestly, when I gave it to me, I started to break down a little bit. I just kind of went, thank you. And that's not <laughs> all I could say. <laughs> yeah. And it, the weirdest thing, I lost it. I lost the coin like two weeks afterward. And that was kind of cool because, you know, we never really graduate. The the coin is just a, a reminder that the things you've accomplished, and we love to say, you know, if, if you ever feel like taking a drink, then stick that coin in your mouth, and when it dissolves, you can have a drink. Mm-hmm. So I I lost the coin. I'm like, oh my God, where'd this thing go? And it kind of got me to, to realize that the birthdays are, are a great benchmark and they're a great accomplishment, but it, it's still one day at a time and we're, we're so able to just go out and we get to this pink cloud level. And to maintain what you've maintained, it takes that regular uh, being involved in the fellowship, going to meetings, reading the book, or anything, anything that gives you a positive affirmation. Um, I've started to do these emails I send out. that are like a compilation of different AA-related and Hazelden things that I've kind of created an email list of people I send out. And uh, for your listeners, I could could certainly send those out to them, too. We can get contacts later. But that helps me more than it helps anybody, being forced to send this out every morning and reading those every day and having accountability, having having a, a, a job per se.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, let's touch up on that right now, actually. I've, I think I've been on your list for about a week now, and it's great stuff that comes in daily. And like you said, with the habit starting to build, I'm almost opening my inbox, waiting to see your email. Yeah. And if somebody would like to get on that list, how can they do that? Do they just send you an email, or how do they do that?
1: Yeah, certainly can send me an email. and you can send it to my business email, actually. That might be even better, at uh, Gra G-R-A-S, at Sailing Adventures.com.
0: So is that the J G R A S? So the letter J, yeah. not J A Y J? Like, the,
1: like uh, just the letter J. Gra like uh, Mardi Gras.
0: Mm hmm. Perfect. And you mentioned earlier that you heard somebody say in a meeting, I'm a grateful alcoholic. And I remember the first time I heard that, I wanted to put my hands up and say, hold on a second, I'm gonna walk over there and bitch slap this gentleman and come back and have a seat and we'll proceed the meeting like that statement wasn't said. But I know now after you know being a couple of years sober, I don't know if I can quite say that yet, but I definitely understand what, it's, what it comes from. And you know I've been given an opportunity to drastically improve my life by getting sober and I understand that's why you know people are grateful for that and you know I I am grateful Mm -hmm. of of my past experiences and the ability to be sober and I guess alcoholism gave me that gift so I guess I am a grateful alcoholic but but what's your take on that
1: I think along those lines it it took me a long time and and there's no doubt I resented those people (laughs) that would say I'm so it's and I'm a grateful alcoholic and it's like You know what? F you. I don't even know what you're saying right now. Why would you ever say
0: I'm
1: not, it's like cancer. That's a disease. I would be grateful for having cancer, but you know, to not even really touch on that, but there are people that have said, you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me because I've been able to realize what true humility means, what gratitude means, just to appreciate life. To me today, I can say that I am a grateful alcoholic and I don't wear it as a cape and go around trying to cure everyone, though I'd love to, Uh, you know, it's a program of attraction. So we just have to live the life of those that we would like to emulate. But the things I've been able to witness in life and finding the program in AA and how my wife and I have have come together in our relationship, it would never have been possible unless we had gone through all the things that we have and been able to recover from that and then find, as my dear friend says, a journey through self-restoration, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, it's, I feel like it's really what I've been meant to do, and everything up to this point uh, has led me into the realization that life is so short and just like how we can drink any day. We can, we can die any day. We, we are so blessed in this world to live where we live and the country that we live in and we can't take any of that for, for granted. And going to meetings and talking with people and getting all those feelings out and realizing that, you know, without this affliction, without this disease, I would have never found this, this restorative process of self. And for that, I am, I am grateful. It's, it's true. It's no, no joke.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100% with what you just said. And before we hit the rapid-fire round, I want to touch up on your sober scuba sailing tours in the Caribbean. Mm. This sounds incredible. Tell us about that.
1: Well, that's actually a new idea. We've been doing sailing trips. It was one of those first things, is dating. that My wife and I, then girlfriend, uh, had one of those aha moments. Like, wow, she's not only gorgeous, but she could be the one. And she even jokes like, I thought, but what do you mean? We were sitting and having lunch, and she said something like, uh, you know, I've always wanted to do this this sailing thing. I've never sailed. I'm like, oh, my God, I've always wanted to sail. And I I didn't know how to sail then. I I grew up deep-sea fishing in the Bay Area with my dad, and I'm I'm really good at boats, but i had never sailed. So that's always intrigued me. So she's like, oh, my God, you're just saying that, you know. We ended up doing a a riverboard sail trip and learning how to sail. And that got us to sailing in the Virgin Islands. And, and in the past 10 years, we've essentially guided sailing trips down there. And, uh, of course, certainly turning it up, throttling pretty hard with the rum life of the sailing industry down there. Uh, we were snorkeling over a beautiful area where a lot of people dive and then saw people diving. And you're like, oh, my God, we got to do that. You know, as my obsession kind of controls <laughs> what I do, I not only can't learn how to dive, we go on these two-week sailing vacations, and I don't just with a captain. I'm the captain and I don't just uh, go scuba diving. I become an instructor in scuba diving. And so we started doing that and everything kind of comes together. And this last trip we were at, uh, even just a year ago, we went with a mixed group of people and some were drinkers, long-term friends of ours, and some were non-drinkers. And I thought, gosh, you know, this guy's in the program too. We can have kind of like a mini AA and then they can have their party and whatever, and I got to say, it was really taxing. Uh, it, was, it was fun. You know, I guess you can call me an enabler. I feel safe with that. But uh, they were having a good time. But it, you know, it was definitely it wore on us a little bit with all the drunken escapades. And then it turned out the last couple of days of the trip, it was just an amazing vacation like we, we love to have. And I think I shared a lot of experience with those people. And you could see that just that inherent scope, like this is amazing. I, I love this. Thank you for inviting us. And it, it looked like it really changed their life in a bit of a way, and they had their great break to get them refueled. And in the last few days of the trip, this, this bro of ours, he just, the wheels fell off. He started drinking, and, oh, man, it, it still crushes me. I, 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 I take some responsibility to that. And my wife and I one day were just sitting in the living room discussing this whole event, and, you know, what could we have done? And, you know, we, we don't have control over other people, but I feel like if, if, you know, all these things, you know, I'm a care provider, so I, I can't help but think what else could I have done It dawned on me, I'm like, you know what? Why don't we just start doing sober trips? Because it'd be so much more fun and maybe organic when we start doing meetings somewhere and maybe someone leaves a speaker meeting or whatever. And this whole thing, I grew up in California. I I surf. My brother's a big wave surfer. So STOKE was always a term I've used. And we just started brainstorming. And the acronym came out, STOKE as in sobriety through opportunities, knowledge, and experience. And I'm like, this is amazing. We're still doing this, and since we've, I've uh, we kind of put together a page and whatnot. So we are now taking in June our first sober trip. Oddly enough, uh, I know I've invited you. We do have one opening currently, but it's you know friends of friends, people that are are uh, like-minded individuals that want to try to maybe even enjoy some of their old life and what they used to do, or something new in life, or possibly even struggling with their sober life. And I don't know how else to live a life other than live in a, a constant stoke to another stoke. That seems to have been able to get through this life so far. And uh, if I could just share that with someone else, it's really the impetus of this, this whole new idea. So, yeah, we're, we're going to start embarking on truly sober sailing trips with diving in that also to the, to the Virgin Islands. So get in at the ground level. We'll see where this goes.
0: Yeah, and this, this episode is going to come out mid-June uh, to early June. Mm. So it might be too late this year, 2017. But you and I are chatting about putting together a trip for a scuba, a scuba sailing trip for 2018, either in April, May, or June. And if you're interested, email me at paul at recoveryelevator.com or email you at jgra at com. Did I get your email address correct there?
1: Yeah, it's actually sailing scuba adventures.
0: Okay. Perfect.
1: It's kind of a long, uh, but we could maybe put those in the notes or whatever. But yeah, it's uh, I've been working on my website a little bit, to try to get that going, and uh, just really excited about it. I've talked to a lot of people in sobriety about this, and it seems that there's a lot of retreats, and just like yours in August, which I can't wait to get to. We're really excited about going to that this summer. But as you mentioned, and we've talked, you know, there's a lot of uh, like big cruise ships and just thousands of people and I I can't stand Mm -hmm. I I live in big sky or in Montana for that matter you know we we live in almost a million square miles with just under 900,000 people so we like our space so I like these small groups these small trips and uh, really excited about it I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from people that I trust and it seems like a new idea I mean I don't really care I know that ultimately it's all about keeping me sober so
0: yeah, it's quite affordable. So, it is it? Well, Three thousand yeah, for two people, twenty five hundred for one person. That includes everything for a week, right?
1: Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm not into this to make money. Uh, it's it's really about a shared experience, and and that's what I found in sobriety. It, it's shared experiences and staying tight with a fellowship and and making those connections. That's that's number one. You know, when we when we take this this thing away, this this thing that was causing so much issues, you know, we, we're left with this void. And what the hell do we do with this empty space? And I find that. What what Personally, what I find is that those connections with people, those deep-seated experiences that you have in something that's just so mind-blowing, like the beauty of the tropics, like the ocean and what it has to offer, it's just an incredible experience that it's like, why would you ever want to taint this by Mm -hmm. a chemical that pulls you away from that sensitiveness? And it's okay. It's safe. It's okay to, to, to break down and... You know, I love Ann Morrison. Always says, "You know, it's, it's it's you're not supposed to break down." Well, that's that's totally true. But it's okay to have these wonderful experiences and break down and feel emotion.
0: Yeah, you know? absolutely.
1: So kind of what we're into now. So it might be a little touchy feely. But
0: no, I just want to comment. It's more than an idea. You've got a web page, and what's that web page?
1: What I've been doing is not to try to deter away from the other part of the business for people that are drinkers and want to just enjoy the occasion with us, which is fine, but to specifically be it, get some information about our soap page. Uh, if you just go to our website, there's a contact page and then I can send you an invite and just discuss on a more one-to-one basis. Cause I don't want to just dis- disseminate information out there. I like to make connections with people. So if you're interested, then we can have a discussion and talk about it more, but the, on our website, at dot there's the contact page and then uh, I can send you information through that.
0: Perfect and that's all going to be in the show notes, his contact email address you go to recoveryelevator.com episode 120, find the show notes for the contact information and Jason we have reached the rapid fire round if you can answer mm. these questions within 30 to 60 seconds that would be great Are you read it. Hit
1: me.
0: <laughs> Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: You know this is another one I've thought about a lot. And I can never forget that moment when I was <laughs> broken down to nothing and feeling like, you know, in a medical mind, I was actually having a true medical emergency. When it turned out I was just having an emotional withdrawal emergency, just wrapping my arms around my porcelain gut, uh, that last really bad drunk. And that's my currently my worst memory. I can never forget how horrible I felt. And, and I, I like to keep that close because I don't ever want to go back to that life again.
0: And Jason, we've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking?
1: Yeah, you know, these these multi-day hangovers I used to have. And it wasn't just, you know, I, I think as we age too, hangovers get worse and worse. But man, I would have these hangovers that I would be on the couch for two, three, four days. And I, I think it's those, those moments, I was realizing that, you know, this isn't normal. Uh, even in an area that I live in, I, I can't blame that. It's This This is definitely something that I may need to be paying attention to. So I, I think of the compilation of those those memories of those just three, four, just horrible hangovers that I'm sure I could have been hospitalized. You know, but being an EMS provider, I have too much pride to actually go to the facility that I deliver people to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would just suffer on the couch myself, and I think those were – those aha moments that come to mind you was know, just riddled with that with the, the gut-wrenching feeling of withdrawal.
0: Hmm. And what's your favorite resource in recovery, Jason?
1: You know, I, I, I think what comes to mind at the forefront, and I think I would be remiss not to mention the big book of AA and the 12 and 12 Recall the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, they're it's it's not just really about recovery. I think there's just there's just these divine words that we could all learn from, and, and I've heard it said many times in the rooms. There's just there are these theories and foundations that a true euphoric society could could uh kind of like panacea. You know, it was it, it's they're amazing words to live by. Um, and I think it's I think in episode one thirteen. I just listened to one of your interview. Your interviewees, Michael, talked about that we stand on the shoulders of giants, and that is so true with, with the words in those books. It's it's amazing for anyone to really read, but certainly people with our affliction. And the whole sugar addiction thing, I mean, that, that's brilliant. I think sugar and alcohol are truly the, the, the real gateway drugs. And maybe not so recovery-based, but early on in sobriety, I... Watched the Tony Robbins special. It's called I'm Not Your Guru. Hmm. And growing up in California, <laughs> I used to see him on the TV all the time, and I thought he was kind of a douchebag. But uh, so, <laughs> watching that show, he's a freaking animal. The guy is an absolute stud. He's good. And I mean, I had many breakdown moments, and it's just, I keep going back to that. It's truly motivating. The guy's an animal, he, he's onto something that. That very few people are. I mean, as far as success and just inner inner uh, spiritual sobriety, I think that's really helped me.
0: Yeah, in regards to the big book, it's no coincidence that it's a top fifty bestseller in the entire world. It's great mm-hmm. literature, even if you know you're in recovery or not. There are some key principles that should be read. And next question, Jason, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: This is kind of this is kind of a strange one, but make your bet There's a great talk. He's a general, and I don't really remember his name, but I'm sure you can look it up. But make your bed in the morning. That That is so important, I think. It's so key. It's so funny, these things that you just take for granted. But no matter what, if you have a horrible day and you come back and, and guess what? Maybe you're still sober for that day, but you come back and you come back to your bed and you're like, oh, wow, my bed looks so nice and neat. And so that, it's just a little thing. It's so, it's so funny, but it's it's actually – it's really don't – don't underestimate that. I think another one – I like to say, shut up, show up, and listen without judgment, and that's I think huge in, in all attributes. But, uh, I maybe mean, most importantly, don't leave until the miracle happens. That's really key in people that I see go in and out of the of the sobriety game, and it's so true. You know, give it time, and it's it's the miracle will happen. I promise.
0: And before we depart, Jason, give listeners your own customized. You might be an alcoholic if line. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is definitely me. Um, You might be an alcoholic if you see a half-full cocktail that someone has left behind while out and you say, now that's alcohol abuse, and you finish it for them.
0: (laughs) 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 I, I drove by a brewery the other day, which is right by my house. I drive by it every day. And I saw people walking out with growlers, Jason, and it just seems so weird to me—the the concept of not finishing your drink or not chugging your drinks at the bar. It's like a growler. Like, oh, there's a couple normal drinkers right there, just saving their micro brews for a later date. I just never understood that at all. Um, yeah. Well, you
1: know, when I moved this guy, I knew I found my oasis because we used to get go cups, and it was encouraged. Like, oh, I got to pound this. And like, no, 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 you can take that to go. Like what? Are you crazy? Yeah, you know, I grew up in California. You, know, you, you can't drink and driving. Like that's completely like you'll, you'll lose your license forever. And even at the time of the nineties, I'm like, wait, you, like, no, seriously. Here is how about some more? Let's pop that off for you. And they would just give you a go cup, and it was fully legal. You could drink and drive in our little town back then.
0: So back then, we're talking like early two thousands, <laughs> right?
1: Mid nineties.
0: Okay, that is so crazy. That's yeah, unfathomable. They
1: changed the law and. and like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, in modern day. I mean, this is not so long ago.
0: No, it's not long ago at all. <laughs> <It's> so crazy.
1: <laughs> uh, and I, I got I another one here. You might be an alcoholic. If offered a glass while holding your favorite bottle of rum, and you reply with, what do you need? It comes in a glass. And take a drink out of the bottle. We, I'm very seldomly, yeah, towards the end, they're just used to even... Use glasses. And what, why do you need a glass? It comes in one. So, <laughs> white lace this
0: Yeah, that was my thinking with a pitcher. It already comes in a large glass. I don't need glasses. I'm going <laughs> to drink this whole pitcher by myself. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Much appreciated. I am excited to go sailing with you sometime in the near future and learn all about that stuff. And most importantly, do it sober.
1: Oh, man. Thank you so much. A uh, huge opportunity. Once again, I... My name is Jade. and I'm not a Grateful
0: Alcoholic. I, I don't know if I can say any more. Ditto. Awesome. Thank you, Jason.
1: Thank you.
0: There are two things I want to talk to you guys about before we end this podcast episode. Number one is I want to share a new routine of my morning with you guys. I do, I think, a pretty good job of writing in my gratitude journal anywhere from two to six times per week. Writing in a gratitude journal is a great way to tell yourself what's good in your life. And when you put pen to paper, there's actually a lot to be thankful for. Now this task is not easy. It might seem simple, but I recall when my first sponsor told me to get a notebook and write five things on the notebook that I'm thankful for each day. I still have that notebook and a couple months ago, I opened it up and man was that bleak. I think there was about 18 things total in that book. I struggled back then. Didn't feel like I was thankful for much. There were words like dog, mom, food, water. But now, thankfully, things are a lot different. I'm in a much different place. But the change that I inserted into this daily routine, which usually happens within the first 30 to 45 minutes of my day, hopefully it's before 6 a.m. or before 7 a.m., is I listen to a song. And for the duration of that song, I visualize what I'm grateful for. The song that I've listened to the last three days is a piano melody by Carly Commando called Dragonfly. I discovered this song on Spotify, and if you don't have Spotify, I highly recommend you get it. And it's hard not to be in a good mood when I hear this song. I just close my eyes, put on my Bose Bluetooth headphones, and I just think about what I'm grateful for. I put my butt on my carpet, put my back against my bed, I rest my forearms on my kneecaps, and I just think, I'm so grateful for this for that, for these memories. And then I think about what I'm going to be grateful for tomorrow, what I'm going to be grateful for today. I've only done this three times, but after each time, it's like, wow, do I feel like a million bucks? And then I opened up the door and it's freaking snowing in May in Montana. Jesus Murphy. The other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was something that I left out in episode 118, which was about depression, the black dog. And what reminded me about this is what Brad Pitt said about feelings. I've been on an antidepressant called Paxil paroxetine since 1999. I was originally prescribed this medication for ADD. Yep, not depression, but for ADD. I think it helped. In fact, I got a better score on my ACT after taking this medication. But then again, I practiced the ACT. I should have gotten a better score. Anyways, I don't know. I wasn't a medical professional then, and I'm still not a medical professional now. However, I want to come off the Paxil. I feel like I've hit this rut in my recovery, and I want to start recovering more. So with the help of my recovery team, and I'm not going rogue on this, like Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall when he wrestles a grizzly bear, but I'm coming off the meds. You might hear me next week, Recovery Elevator, episode 121. I'm back on the meds. However, that's the plan. It actually takes a long time to come off the meds. I got to titrate for quite some time, but I want to feel these feelings. I want to feel these emotions because I know it's imperative that I don't skip past them. A lot of them will probably be uncomfortable. But what I've noticed on these antidepressants is that the highs and the lows just aren't quite as high and quite as low. Sure. I don't want the low lows, but I do want the higher highs. So I thought I'd throw that in there and I will continue to keep you all updated on my journey. So I hope you all enjoyed the segment about my boy Bradley. If he were to hear this episode, he would probably negate the fact that we were boys, but that's all right. Do your thing, Bradley. You're on team recovery now. It's going to get much better. Just stick with it. Because Bradley, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.